Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com, on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, I have Maggie Umberger and Kristen Guile. Hello, Gina. Good morning, Gina. Good morning, ladies. So, Gina, this week you spoke with Maria. I did. I spoke with Maria Mozafar. She is a civil rights attorney. She is an author and speaker and just generally a protector of humans who need protection. And the way that she sets goals is really cool because she has her eyes and ears open to what people need. And when you say she's a protector of humans, that like encompasses her many jobs because she goes into so many different realms that take her on a lot of different paths, but they're all under that umbrella of like total selfless acts. When she was describing her law practice, she talked first about where she volunteers her time, which I find really interesting because the places where she volunteers her time or donates her time, those things tend to take up more of her time than sort of the billable hour stuff. So she, she's been active in sort of the border rights and the rights that humans have at the U.S. borders, as well as the ban, the travel ban. And she also wrote a book called More Than Pretty. One of the things that came through on your interview with Maria is that she has no quit in her. Can you tell us about some of the obstacles that she's faced and how she's overcome them? So Maria, you're right, does not know how to quit. Uh, She failed the bar exam five separate times, and she'll talk through the story of how she overcame it, what she did to overcome it, but she knew that she needed to pass the bar to practice law, to do the things that she wanted to do. And because that was a block in the way of her big goal, she understood that she would just have to keep banging her head against that wall until she broke the wall down. And she wrote letters. She reached out to people. But I think what was most incredible was that I didn't even have a chance to ask her how it felt to pass the bar exam because she immediately explained how it felt, which was that she was on this high, probably so high, that it, it was almost as if she she was stoking her own ego. But she has this incredible connection to sort of religion and the universe, and she felt that the universe almost put her back in her place after feeling like she'd passed the bar and she was on this high and she found herself sort of back down where she needed to be, where her head had to be, for her to actually move forward and achieve the things that she was there to achieve. The bar exam was just one step along the way. And when we think about fitness... I think a lot of times we get to treat fitness as our little selfish moment of the day where it's just we do this for us and I know that's how I feel about a great yoga class or whatever it might be. But even when she talks about her relationship to fitness, she's a role model to other people. Can you talk a little bit about that? So she is a triathlete, which is incredible because I don't know when she does it. A multi-sport athlete takes a lot of time for him or herself to train 
for the three sports involved, for swimming, biking, and running. And she's doing those things, and she's also sort of doing them for her family. So she talks about how she crossed the finish line carrying her daughter in her arms, wearing a T-shirt that said she was her husband's wife and her daughter's mother. Because she's not just doing it for herself, she's doing it to be a role model for her whole family, which was incredible and a lesson to me as well because I as I sort of think about where my life will go selfishly I think about how children will fit in because I I think so much about how you can be either a strong woman or a caretaker and that's just not true because she is both of those things she is both a strong woman and a caretaker sort of in one body doing all those things vacillating wildly between being strong so she can take care of people and taking care of people so that she can be strong and I thought that was the most incredible thing about her was that she sort of broke all the rules it's a truly amazing interview so here is Gina with Maria are you gonna cry? I might cry too. Girl, sit up, be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset. I'm Gina Anderson Cohen, and we are here on We Got Goals. I'm here with Maria Mozafar, who is an accomplished lawyer, author, president of an organization, and you're also an attorney with CARE here in Chicago. Welcome to We Got Goals, Maria. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So before we get started, I'd love to sort of hear what you're doing now, what you're working on, all the organizations you're a part of before we jump into the questions. Sure. So right now, I'm donating my time as a legislative attorney to CARE, Council of American Islamic Relations Chicago. They are the number one civil rights organizations for Muslim Americans in this country. And I'm also donating my time to organizations, political organizations as well, that are wanting to learn about legislative drafting and how to get involved in policy and advocate for policy. And I'm also talking about the main ideas about a book I wrote called More Than Pretty, uh, How to Lead a Life of Substance in an Artificial World. So I'm talking to women's groups and different organizations about the substance in that. That's a lot. <laughs> you are also a mother of three. Yes, I'm a mother of three. I have an eight-year-old and two little four-year-olds. And I'm a wife. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, it keeps me busy. Busy person. So talk to me about a big goal that you've accomplished and what it took to get there. So I'm very excited. I finally, finally finished my new labor of love, which is the book, More Than Pretty, How to Live a Life of Substance in an Artificial World. And I really wanted to write this book because I wanted to bring everything together that I've experienced since I was a child all the way to now of how I as a person have managed to move away from the distractions that society throws at us and focus on what's important. And it's brought me so much joy and so much purpose. And I just felt, you know, my, my day job as a civil rights attorney and as a legislative consultant, my day job shows me a lot of injustices and inconsistencies in our communities. And when I see that, I, I try to solve those problems, but I also focus on the person. And I focus on if each individual in that situation was whole and empowered, things would look so different. They would advocate for themselves differently, and the person that maybe 
doing something that's unjust to somebody else would check themselves. So I just felt like at the end of the day, no matter what movement we're in, no matter what we're advocating for, movements can go so off track if individuals themselves are not whole. And that's what I wanted to focus on. Wow. So in that whole story that mm-hmm. you just told, and it's the story mm-hmm. of your life, essentially, mm-hmm. you've really been an advocate for others. Mm-hmm. What led to you doing that? What led to you sort of donating your time the way you do, donating your brain power the way you do? Because writing a book is not just you sit down and you write a book. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time. What led to all of that? You know, I'd like to start out by saying that there are some things in certain people's personalities that are always there. Like compassion and empathy, I think everybody has. I think everybody has the ability to have empathy and to step in other people's shoes. I think not all of us pay attention to it. I paid attention to it. I paid attention to it since childhood that it made me very happy, that it made me feel very satisfied when I understood how other people felt and how I could somehow communicate with them of how they could snap out of it or change a few things in their their daily routine or their life or whatever their circumstances to, to have a better day or a better opportunity. You know, since I was young, I was that kid who would intervene if two kids were fighting or if I felt somebody was being mistreated, I would make a point or my responsibility to go in. My sister jokes. Why are you always meddling? Why are you always meddling in my stuff? And I'm a meddler. I don't say I know it all, but I want to roll up my sleeves and try to make it go better for you. If everyone did that, we would be in a better place. So now, and this is a really interesting exercise for anyone who's interested in writing, when you actually write your thoughts down and then you go through your the summary of your experiences, you actually realize more who you are than when you are when you're going through them. So it's a really good exercise to like think about how you reacted and how you interacted with people. And so I I started to really do all my work out of that space. You know, how can I make somebody else's situation better? And I am a very spiritual person. I'm a person of strong faith and I do believe in the big picture. And I do believe that what you put in without always thinking of yourself first, what you put in is going to be rewarded by the universe and by the creator. So I always work out of that space. You know, I never think my job is to advocate to always put other people first. I feel like my job is to do the best I can to make life better for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And right now, you're working really hard to make life better for women among other groups with more than pretty. Mm-hmm. So can you talk to me about how you're sort of working with groups now to implement the ideas in More Than Pretty. Absolutely. So now I am so thankful. I'm going to different town halls, going to different communities. We'll be holding book clubs online to talk about the book. And really, the book is written for any woman from anywhere, honestly, at any age. And it is really to focus in and have that conversation that you would with your best friend. You know, that you feel everything is going great, but somehow you feel like they could do even better. If they just heard somebody that was sincere enough to say, you know, maybe you can tweak here and there, and I've been through these situations, you would feel more empowered. So right now, that's I'm in the thick of that. I'm in the thick of getting my message out. I'm in the thick of empowering women to understand that they are so more than pretty, and that the consumer-driven industries and the media And the way that this whole community and society is set up is to remind you that you're not. 
that's how that's how people make money you know and so many products and industries have made money to tell people that they're not more than pretty you know tell women that that's all they have to be and that's taken away from them developing their inner character and their inner strength and finding out who they are today people are posting about their lives all the time we're surrounded by images of self of selfies of people in the perfect situation sort of portraying what they want to show that pretty perfect lifestyle how do you think social media has played in to what you're talking about and the problem you're trying to solve I'm so glad you asked me that question because there's a whole chapter on that and there's (laughs) definitely a chapter on selfies so we cannot ignore social media and we need to understand it react to it and comment on it Social media is great in the aspect that it gives you the connection to individuals that you don't see physically. And you can talk to people from around the world and learn about issues, humanitarian issues, the things that are going on in Burma or Syria. You can learn about it and read about it and see short videos. So I love social media for that reason. There's also a dark side of social media. And with everything, whether it be chocolate or junk food of any sort, moderation is key, right? So. Social media is the same. Moderation is key. And I think that we have to understand what social media does to us personally. We have to analyze that so we know how to use it effectively. So you brought up the example of the selfie. First of all, what the selfie teaches you is that it's all about the face. It's all about the face. If the face looks good, your life is good. The problem with that is there's not one face that is the standard of beautiful and looking good. There's a lot of different types of faces. There's a lot of different types of skin types. And the filter shows you that you don't have to worry about being different. We can all look the same. And so there's so much emphasis on the face and that you carry with you psychologically. You know, when you enter in a room and you know that a selfie really matters, it really matters what you look like instead of developing your thoughts of what you're gonna say at the meeting that you're going to. So it does put a lot of emphasis on your face and you'll and you'll see that this happens i was just joking about this the other day that you see someone they look like they're on the red carpet and then you see the same person in the grocery store and you're like what happened and and they look fine they totally look fine they're just getting tomatoes from the grocery store but they look totally different from what they look like just a day ago and so that artificial look that you're putting to the world all the time consistently basically tells you that your tomato look when you're going out to get groceries is not your real look but which is it because the selfie has a filter right so you yourself are confused what do i really look like what is my appearance to the world the second issue with social media is the light contest i call it the light contest which is the need for validation for your experiences and your accomplishments and just your moments if you're in vacation in Greece, it's not valuable to you. You may you may intellectually think it is, but it's not valuable to you until you have so many likes on your picture. And so what it does that it takes away from the actual vacation, it takes away from that actual moment because you're so concerned about let's take a picture, let's take a selfie. And so it drives that need for validation to your basic existence. And then think, the fact that you're breathing and experiencing these things is not valuable enough unless it's on photo. The other thing it does, number three, is that it takes away from you being present. 
It really does. Because I think we've all been there where we're at social events and we're enjoying the social event. We're enjoying the moment, whether it be a baby shower, bridal shower, what have you. But then everyone's taking a picture and everyone's posing. And then it's all about the picture. And it's all about that experience instead of the experience of the event. So it takes away from you being present. It forces you to have this need for validation from others. And then it puts a lot of effort on your face, which, you know, God made all types of faces. They're all beautiful. God has not made one ugly, unattractive person, not one. And so the fact that you have a filter fixing your face all the time teaches you that there is an imperfect face. And I don't believe in that. I think what's super powerful in that and I, I think what we'll probably unpack next is the fact that intelligence can't be shown um, on most of the time let's say on Instagram on these photo based and video based social channels mm -hmm. so how do you sort of take the emphasis from what's in front of your brain <laughs> to what's actually going on in your head. I think this goes back to the idea of moderation and knowing how to use it. Mm -hmm. So first of all, you have to know what is the purpose of you being on social media. If your purpose is to be more vain, to become more insecure, to create an artificial moment for other people to see so then they get envious and start analyzing their own lives, if that is your intention, then you don't have to look smart. You just have to look exactly what you're looking like in that picture. But if you want to use it in a way where it actually makes change or does something that's meaningful to somebody else and for yourself, then your picture should have some kind of purpose. It may be a reflection on a moment. It could be a thought that you had. It could be a picture of somebody other than yourself, something that you're seeing. Sometimes, for example, I see individuals that are doing something interesting on the street and I like to comment on it. Like how nice this person walked this old lady across the street, something like that. And then you use that photo to teach or share or or use the, the photo to share your uh, intellectual thought process on a certain moment. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to be more than a picture. You know, I'm not a big person on Instagram. My friends love it and they're pushing me to get on it. But my hesitation only with that is that the photos don't really let me share my thoughts. Mm. It's all about just what you see, what you see, what you see. And what you see always should have some context. So people are able to appreciate what, what you're experiencing at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is with a sweat life is we use Instagram, mm -hmm. but I had the same sort of internal struggle yeah. because for a while it was just me, but now we have the all of these writers, all of these ambassadors, and I love our Instagram channel now because it's not just me, mm -hmm. because it's all of these different faces and humans doing incredible things. But when it was just me, I'd post a photo and sort of turn my phone over and be like, oh, God, <laughs> like, yeah. why would anyone care about me in a sports yeah. bar? Why would anyone <laughs> care about me doing a lunch? Yeah. Uh, but now it's it's much more powerful because it's others. Because you've you figured out how to make it work for your ultimate mm -hmm. purpose, which is bigger than anything superficial. Ooh. That's why it works for you. Yes. Yeah. I, think, I think that's what everyone needs to do with their own social channels yeah. is just ask in life, in fitness, in Instagram, mm -hmm. what is your why? Yeah. So what is your why? What gets you out of bed every day? To be honest with you, I feel like we have one life. I believe we have one life and I believe that we are lucky to get up every day and there's many people that don't you know sometimes when I talked 
to organizations or at town halls, I, I say that there's a reason you're in the audience and somebody else was in a car accident. And we can't forget that. You know, there's many people who don't live past the age 16 or 25 or 10. So I just wake up with a lot of gratitude that I'm breathing and I know that I'm not here to take up space. What I love about that is that I can hear in your resolve, your resilience as mm -hmm. well. And speaking to sort of your resilience, mm -hmm. there's always failure that mm -hmm. precedes it. So I, I know that, and you've spoken publicly about this mm -hmm. before, so I'm not outing you here, but, <laughs> but you took the bar six total times. Yes. You failed the first five. Mm -hmm. What allowed you to keep going or what drove you to keep going? You know, with any goal, just like we were having this discussion about social media, we need to know what our ultimate reason for doing anything is. My ultimate reason, because I was a meddler from childhood, was to be able to advocate for other people. I was very passionate and inspired by the civil rights movement of the 60s. I was very inspired around the world looking at individuals who would change power dynamics and how one person could make a huge difference. And I believe advocating for other people in that way, being a lawyer in that way, would give me the ability to do that. So I knew I always wanted to do that. I also knew that I don't believe in the so-called notion of experts. I don't believe anybody is an expert. I think if someone says they're an expert, then it's suspect because an expert, if you really know about anything, you know that there's so much more to know. So a real expert kind of cautions themselves before they call themselves an expert. So when somebody is telling you that you are not able to pass a multiple choice test and that real life and application of the law and advocacy for the law is not a multiple choice test, such as life is not a multiple choice test. When someone tells you that, you have the choice to either believe it or to see through all that. And I saw through all that. I realized that, you know, I do, I'm not a good test taker. I'm not a good multiple choice test taker. And so I just have to figure out what to do. And I have to figure out this game. And I saw the bar as a game. And every time I failed, I focused on the goal of why I wanted it. And that kept me going. And, you know, my father said this to me when I was young. When you fail at something and you keep trying, that becomes your personality. Your personality becomes the persistence. And I paid attention when my parents talked. You know, that's another thing. I say that a lot in the book that my parents were the kind of parents that always spoke about certain things like general big things and then they come and hit you when you're an adult. That kept me going that, you know, I'm going to learn something out of this and I'm going to learn that there's no shortcuts and I'm going to learn that I have to do this by myself. And I remember after I failed the fifth time, you know, because you, you have so many people saying, oh, oh, there you go, like she couldn't pass this test. But you know what your intellect is, you know what your ability is, and you know what the reason was that you failed. So you don't listen to all of that. This is your life and your purpose and you gotta do what you gotta do. So I remember I was at a brunch, a restaurant having brunch by myself, because in those moments you have to be by yourself when you, you, you get a notice that you failed the fifth time. So, and I called the president of the board of admissions, I literally Googled this gentleman and I googled where they worked and I called him and I said listen this is what has happened in the process of taking this exam five times I've also done this this and this such as developed policy and worked with other attorneys and done all this stuff even though the other people were signing off on my stuff because I couldn't sign off on it I've done all this stuff so I know what I'm doing I just can't pass this test he listened for a while and then he said you're just gonna have to take it again, but let's talk. Let me let me call you back. 
I never got a call back. So then what I did is that I wrote this long letter. And I wrote this letter about everything that I had done while I was taking the bar exam to show him that I'm not just sitting here twirling my thumbs. I'm studying and contributing <laughs> as what I could do in my capacity. And I wrote this long, passionate letter. I think it was like four pages long of everything that I was since I was a child and undergrad in high school and how I was student body president in high school and undergrad and law school. And I was not someone who took a back seat and et cetera. No response. So then I called again and I said, I, I wrote you a letter. And he said, you know what? I got your letter and I'm so glad you called. And we shared it with all the members on the board of admissions because we were so inspired by your letter. And we just want you to know, we all want you to take it again, <laughs> you know? And so obviously, obviously I said, okay. And he goes, I know you can do it. And I did, and I did, and I passed. And what was hilarious about that, this is the way God works, is that I got the notice, and I was so excited. I went out for a drive, and then I picked up some pizza. I was like in this mood, like I was so excited, and then I got stopped for speeding. <laughs> so, you know, and it's like God saying like, calm down. You did the work. We made it happen. Now, let's not throw our hands up in the air, you know? It's a party. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, like, calm exactly. down, man. Like, it's just a pizza party. I know, I know. It's so funny because even the cop was like, I could smell the pizza in the car. But it just put things in perspective, and I pay attention to those things. You yeah. know, whenever there are highs, I enjoy them, but I, I have perspective of why this high is occurring. And when it's low, I focus on what what is the lesson that I'm being taught at this time. Along the way, and as a licensed attorney, mm -hmm. you, you started to mention, but you've advocated for change, you've been inspired by the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. you've been involved in essentially today's civil mm -hmm. rights movement, mm -hmm. both through the travel ban mm -hmm. and through food deserts. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe that food is the first frontier when it comes to making change. There's more to it, obviously, but can you talk through the steps that you've taken on the travel ban and what you're working on today. So this question really is not, I can speak from an attorney's perspective, but really in general, this is about finding your lane and finding a way to contribute to the issue. So as you stated, I have three little kids and I have a husband and I have a home and I'm also just as the accomplishments professionally, I'm very grateful for those and I don't want them to slide ever because that those are really important to me. So for that reason, I can't always go out when there's a protest or a march. I'm not able to do that. I have bedtime, 7.30, 8 o'clock, homework is done. So I'm limited by those things, but I am able to analyze law and I'm able to write policy and I'm able to communicate those ideas to other organizations and donate my time. So that's what I do. And right now, so let's take the travel ban for example. The travel ban came out, it identified six different countries, the first version, that were majority Muslim. However, the travel ban itself did not tie itself to any facts of why it was created because there's no evidence of domestic terrorism by Muslim Americans from those countries. So I am able to analyze these executive orders that are coming now and you know how people say follow the money, follow the money, I follow the intent. I'm interested in the intent, I'm interested in why people are writing these laws, what is the administration thinking, whatever power 
you know, whoever is in power for that regard. So for the travel ban, for example, what I did is I analyzed the first travel ban and I wrote a response and analysis and legal analysis of the fact that it was unconstitutional. And I spoke to law professors, a very good friend of mine, Daria Rothmeyer, who's also a law professor, and I discussed the process of why it was unconstitutional and how these executive orders actually really impact the rights of all Americans. And then I contacted legislators and I said, this is my analysis. This is a bill also to call it unconstitutional. Congress should call it unconstitutional. And I called different legislators and I got responses saying that this is great, this is wonderful. We're really interested in advocating. And so we did town halls with them, which is great, but that issue specifically was left to the courts. Now, there's other issues like that. For example, food deserts that came across my radar, I would say about five years ago, I read about food deserts and I'm like, wow, like I can't believe that there's no grocery stores in these areas. And so I came across this research from this wonderful woman named Mary Gallagher and she had done this intense research in Detroit and in Chicago about food deserts and basically the quality of life and the hardship that occurs. And I was fascinated and I was like, how can we make this into policy? How can we do something about this? And there are organizations that I work with and there's a really good organization called Inner City Muslim Action Network and they do grassroots organizing. And I met with the executive director there and I said, let's, let's do this. And they were already involved in advocating and building relationships between community members and liquor store owners. They were in that process. They had already voiced their concern for that. So I was like, bam. This is what's interesting is like when you have your goal, you don't have all the answers and you're not the one doing everything. There's different partners that do different things, but it all comes together. And sometimes you just, someone needs to like press go and everyone's like, you know, contributing and doing great work already. So, so food deserts was, was like that. And so I wrote a resolution that was unanimously passed in the Illinois General Assembly about the importance of food deserts. And I worked with Senator Collins, Jackie Collins, uh, in the Illinois State Senate to basically create a fresh food fund that would allow organizations to get money to be able to counter this idea. So that is a developing process. Policy works in this way where you identify an issue and then you work with different parties and come up with different ways to solve the problem. And right now, you'd be surprised. What I'm working on right now is that since the travel ban has happened, we have seen that their US citizens, individuals that are detained at the airport, their phones are taken, Facebook accounts, everything is requested. And these individuals, despite being US citizens, are not able to see their attorney. And in fact, we have called CBP, the Custom Border Patrol, wanting to talk to clients and they would say, well, you know, this is kind of a no man zone and it's actually a privilege that they'll get to see you. So there are people being searched as US citizens because for some reason they fit some kind of description. And majority of these cases, all these people are just released. They're like allowed to walk because they couldn't find anything on them. So the bill that I'm working on right now is to be able to make sure that if you are at CBP checkpoints, you should have the right to call your attorney, no matter where you are. And we have sent the bill to different legislators. We're really wanting to see Illinois state senators to pick it up. And that's what we're pushing for right now. And I'm talking publicly about it so people can understand how vital and important it is. Those are big issues, big issues. Big issues. Meanwhile, while you're doing all of this, you are also a triathlete. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to hear how your ideas of goal setting outside of the gym in sort of your, your public yeah. and professional life come into your goal setting when you're doing that sort of three sport athletic mm -hmm. 
thing. I talk about this a lot in the book. I have a whole chapter on the importance of physical fitness because I believe that if your body feels good, then you will be able to contribute to society. I move out of the space of that the energy flows from what you put inside your body. So triathlons, why I even wanted to do triathlons. Number one, I have, like I said, three little kids. If I want them to have a good example of what a strong woman is, a strong mom is, I can't just tell them about it. I have to be that. So my first time I did the triathlon, I had a t-shirt and on the t-shirt I surprised my husband. My my husband's initials are IQ, so everyone calls him IQ and he is very smart. So on my t-shirt I wrote IQ's wife and then on the <laughs> back I wrote Isa's mom. My eldest daughter is Isa. And what's hilarious about this is that when I crossed the finish line, I did the triathlon, but the speaker was like, IQ's wife. And I was like, I did the whole triathlon, he gets called out for it. But so I only share that, that my whole purpose in that was to, I gotta finish this, I gotta train for this because I want my child to have this memory of her mom wearing this t-shirt. I want my husband to have this memory and it creates a culture in the household. And then the second time I did the triathlon, I actually picked her up before I crossed the finish line and I ran with her across it. Probably not allowed but guess what it was a memory for her for a lifetime and we have it on video and we have a picture of me doing that so my physical fitness and my my push to push my body is to serve as an example for everyone around me my family i always say this about triathlons triathlons are uniquely interesting because triathlons are like life right it doesn't matter if you're first it doesn't matter if you're last. The only thing that matters is that you cross the finish line smiling. Mm. And through the process, you think you know how it's gonna feel, but there's different stages. The swim may feel like, oh, I got this, but in the middle, it might get a little rocky. And then you're done with the swim and you wanna pat yourself on the back, but nope, you gotta go bike. So you gotta get up on that bike and then you're tired and your legs are exhausted and something may go wrong. But whew, you finish that bike and then you're like, nope, you're not done, you gotta run. That's like life. There are different stages. And when you finish that triathlon and you finish that whole race, what are you left with? You're left with the fact that you went through all those stages and you kept going. And that's the only thing that makes you happy. I always share that story that every activity or challenge you put on yourself physically, think about how it fits into your big picture and your bigger goal. And if it gives you energy and it gives you that validation that you're doing something right and people around you are getting inspired, then you do it. I love that. <laughs> and at A Sweat Life, we believe that what you do inside the gym directly reflects the life you have mm -hmm. outside of the gym mm -hmm. and the way you set goals and achieve mm -hmm. them. And so it's great to hear you say that too. Yeah. So let's talk about the future. Mm -hmm. What is a big goal that you would like to accomplish that you're striving to accomplish right now or in the future? And how are you planning to get there? One part of identifying a goal I realized is to also identify what your goals are not because mm. they come too, they creep in 
everyone's telling you you should go this way you should you should take this exit and you're like no i gotta i gotta stick to whatever the universe and the creator has a plan for me so it seems to me and this is what i'm working towards that my goal is that i am to be on as big as a platform as possible to be able to uplift people my job right now is to uplift individuals make them understand that they can keep going make them understand that they don't need to give up and specifically now during this political heated time where everyone's at each other's throats and the country's divided and ethnicities and all these things specifically at this time i want people to understand that no one quoting Eleanor Roosevelt, no one can make you feel inferior without your permission. And that changes everything. So the power dynamic of whether it be in your family, whether it be in your relationship, your community or an institution that's pushing you out, whatever it may be, if you can figure out how to empower yourself and have confidence in who you are, things will change. And that is my job right now, to be able to share that message with as many people as possible and, and wake people up to understanding how powerful they are. Right now, where can people get your book? So you can go to the website, youaremorethanpretty.com. You can also check it out on mariamuzaffer.com. So my whole name, M-A-A-R-I-A-M-O-Z-A-F-F-A-R.com. And there's a link to the book there. And actually, the even the book, I'm actually donating my proceeds. It's a very cool organization called United State of Women. And it was started by, actually, when Michelle Obama, first lady, was in office and it advocates for women and galvanizes women and now it's been taken over by Tina Chen who was the chief of staff for the first lady and Valerie Jarrett who's an advisor to President Obama so so I'm donating my proceeds to them because I really like what they're doing and I'm a policy person and there's a lot of people in the group that are interested in that type of work and so yeah Maria Mozafar we got goals thank you so much for joining me Thank you. I, I had so much fun today. Girl, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So this podcast was produced by me, Cindy Kuzma. And it's another thing that's better with friends. So please, share it with yours. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music. To our guest this week, Maria Mozafar and TechNexus for the recording studio and technical assistance.